Warning, binge mode contains adult content. The Good Place features a character named Mindy St. Clair, a coke-addicted chronic masturbator who cuts Anne Rice novels into pornography. So if that's not your thing, check out Bachelor Party. Honestly, not the type of rail I thought was going to kill me. And now, binge mode. Did you ever commit a serious crime, such as murder, sexual harassment, arson, or otherwise? No. Did you ever have a vanity license plate like Mama's BMW, Lexus for Liz, or Boob Guy? No. Did you ever reheat fish in an office microwave? Ew, no. Have you ever paid money to hear music performed by California funk rock band the Red Hot Chili Peppers? No. Did you ever take off your shoes and socks on a commercial airline? And socks? Ew, who would do that? People who go to the bad place, Eleanor, that's the point. Welcome to Binge Mode. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. What a great website. Great website. Joining me today, mm. now that he's finished showing me his butthole. It's a place where me and my buds congregate. It's a Ringer staff writer. Yes. Your maester, Jason Concepcion. Mal, I should warn you, my butthole's a little messy. <laughs> But before we clean that sucker out, a quick reminder, every Thursday on Binge Mode Weekly, we're diving deep into my butthole to explore the topics obsessing us at the moment. And this spring, we'll be diving deep into Binge Mode Harry Potter. You'll be able to find both Weekly and Harry Potter on the same feed. So stay subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please... Rate and review us, guys, but only if you're going to give us five stars. That's right. And please follow us on Twitter at Binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore cheaty may be basic. You're basic. You're basic. But our Twitter feed is not. This week on Binge Mode. Yeah. We're diving deep. Deep. Not only into Jason's butthole, but also into the place that butthole <laughs> resides. The good place. <laughs> wow. Today, we're going to be discussing season one. And yeah. then on Friday, we're going to be doing a bonus second episode. Bonus. To talk about season two because the season two finale airs on Thursday night. So- Requisite spoiler warning for this week's binge. As always, we will be going deep. Deep. On details from The Good Place and other works of pop culture that explore the afterlife and various moral philosophies. I don't want to spoil Plato's Republic for you guys. So stuff your bra with as much shrimp as you can grab. Mm. Because it's time to explore growth and enlightenment on season one of The Good Place. Yeah. Jason? Yes. Is there a 7-Eleven on the way? Because Janet's powers aren't working, and I want some gum and some football cards and some scratchy tickets. Go away from me now. There's no 7-Eleven on the King's Road, but there are plenty of helpful plot reminders. So let's climb aboard the train that Janet called us and offer up a very brief refresher on what actually happened in season one of The Good Place. Eleanor Shellstrop awakens in The Good Place. This is the place where good people go after they die. She meets Michael, the architect of The Good Place. He explains that Eleanor now lives in a utopia filled with frozen yogurt shops and all the things she loved in life and a sentient Google person named Janet who can tell her about everything in the universe and her soulmate, Chidi. She meets her next-door neighbor, the haughty and Heidi Tahani, and her soulmate, Jianyu, a Buddhist monk who undertook a vow of silence. And as it turns out, though, Eleanor is in The Good Place because of a case of mistaken identity. She was, in truth, a awful person. She confides in Chidi, and he endeavors to help her change for the better. Meanwhile, the good place begins coming apart at the seams. Giant bugs and forks and garbage falling from the sky, a massive sinkhole that threatens to destroy the entire neighborhood. One thing leads to another, and in order to cover for the fact that Eleanor and Jianyu, later revealed as Jason, a DJ from Florida, are in the good place under false pretenses, Janet is murdered and comes back without any of her memories. Eleanor and Jason who is now in a romantic relationship with Janet, flee to the medium place where they meet Coke Rocket Mindy St. Clair. <laughs> Chidi and Tahani are judged guilty in their steads and are scheduled to be sent to the bad place. Eleanor convinces Jason and Janet to return to make things right. And in the course of that, she has a realization. Ah! 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 Holy motherforking shirt balls, guys. This is actually the bad place. Michael, 
His plot foiled erases everyone's mind, but not before Eleanor manages to put a message in Janet's mouth. The message reads, Eleanor, find Chidi. And we're on to season two. Ah, but first we have to talk about season one. Yes. What a twist. Mal, Hmm. I present to you the perfect recipe for my proposed experiment for people perfectly suited to make each other miserable. I'm going to design an afterlife where they torture each other. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it by sticking with the pointy end of a bottle of lonely gal margarita mix for one. Eleanor's favorite. The defining theme of this episode of season one of The Good Place is growth and enlightenment. Holy mother forking shirt balls indeed, mm. Jason. Yeah. I'd like to recite something for you. Yeah. So this is hell. I'd never have believed it. You remember all we were told about the torture chambers, the fire and brimstone, the burning marl? Old wives' tales. That's right. There's no need for red-hot pokers. Hell is other people. Ah, well, it appears that Michael was a fan of Jean-Paul Sartre and the play No Exit, from which the oft-quoted line, hell is other people, stems. But what is hell really? What is heaven? Who deserves to go to either place? Is there something in between, like perhaps a medium place like Cincinnati? Great place. Relatedly, crucially, what is goodness? What does it mean to be a good person who's worthy of a spot in the good place? Are good people born? Are they made? Can you decide to be good? Is it possible to improve one's self-worth and make the choice to suddenly be morally sound and ethically inclined and cast aside selfish motives and pursue the altruistic or at least the more selfless than selfish path? What do we owe each other? as people in the world or as people in the afterlife. What do we owe to ourselves? Everyone might hate moral philosophy professors as we keep hearing on this show time and time again. But when we consider these core questions that drive season one of The Good Place, we kind of have to pull on those genie boots. They look great. Horrible. Beautiful. Horrible. Just so red and rhinestone-y. You got to break out the chalkboard. In Michael's Grand Experiment, Michael's Gambit, as the episode name would call it, Our heroes all find themselves confronted with the same anxieties and annoyances and fears that thwarted them in life. So can they gain enough insight and self-awareness to become better people in death than they ever were in life? To explore that, which is the key theme of this season. Yes. Let's start with the series protagonist, Eleanor. Eleanor is, spoiler, in the bad place. Masquerading is the good place because she lived an extraordinary, selfish life. Here are the transgressions of one Eleanor Shellstrop, as listed by Sean, the cosmic judge from The Good Place. Heckling of mall Santas, times nine. <laughs> Screaming at waiters, times 22. Scalped EpiPens. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great times one. Times four. Showed a nine-year-old child <laughs> shining. That's not that bad. Is it? Nine's a little young. Cyberbullying of a pregnant woman from spin class. Started fire in mailbox to get mailman to take off his shirt. That is, that's just innovative, Yeah, that's, I think. It's really good. Take selfie in bathroom at great aunt's funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Brief Instagram flirtation with Kid Rock. Yeah, I mean, she's not a great person. It, in addition to that, when names are put into a hat to select who the designated driver is, Eleanor always finagles herself to be the person who picks the name out and then, of course, will never read her own name. When called on this, she eats the paper that she's holding. When further pressed that, hey, actually, by process of elimination, I can just look at the names in the hat and figure out, like, (laughs) whose name was pulled. She eats the entire hat full of papers. This is the kind of person she is. Her job in life involved selling fake medicine to senior citizens and ill people. (laughs) She had that job because she quit her other job. Because it entailed having to, like, do stuff with her coworkers, which she didn't want to do at all. Not into that. She's just not, totally not into that. She just sucks. She's bad. The moments that led to her death involved shopping at what appeared to be a Ralph's. (laughs) (laughs) Haranguing one of those people who take names for the environment. Mm -hmm. Like, basically calling him a garbage human being, telling him that he doesn't exist, littering right in front of him. Then getting hit by a truck carrying a billboard for erectile dysfunction pills. She was bad. Bad, bad, bad. She died as she lived. So Eleanor's presence in the good place creates a host of moral quandaries. 
what is the meaning of the afterlife if the processes which underpin it are fallible? Who invented the scoring system anyway that gets you in here? What happened to the actual Eleanor, whose humanitarian deeds <laughs> earned our Eleanor a place in the good place? And who really likes clowns. Who really likes clowns, apparently. <laughs> what? <laughs> to your credit, though, Eleanor, though desperate to conceal the fact that she's in the good place because of mistaken identity, thus consigning a deserving person to a life of eternal torment in close proximity to Trevor, played by Adam Scott and Bad Janet, which is not that bad, takes her enlightenment seriously. She enlists Chidi into covering for her, yes, thus making him complicit in her crimes against cosmic justice, but she also has him teach her about ethics, morality, and she takes the lesson seriously. She she reads and rereads dense philosophical texts in order to better understand herself. And okay, her betterment occurs in fits and starts, like she masterminds the murder of Janet, who may or may not be a person. But hey, she does give up her spot in line at the frozen yogurt spot to someone else when she can't figure out what she wants. That's big because she could have sampled 12 flavors that she didn't even want, Jason. Which would normally be what she does. But look, she's a better person now. And she begins quoting Kant in casual conversation. In all seriousness, towards the end of season one, when it becomes clear that people are going to have to go to the bad place because of her, She's like, no, we can't let this happen. We have to go. She convinces Jason, sort of, that she has to go. But perhaps the true measure of her growth, much like the philosopher in Plato's Cave, which we'll get to later, is that she's the one who deduces that Michael's creation is actually the bad place. My theory is that that she's able to do this because, like the philosopher in Plato's Cave, she gets a distance from the person she was. She's able to see things from a distance and understand this kind of weird torture feedback loop that the characters all create for each other. Here's the thing. Is Eleanor the worst person in in The Good Place? Well, I think one of the most interesting things about the show and one of the reasons that it resonated with so many people is because, on the one hand, sure, she is an objectively selfish person who does all of these horrible things in life when she's taking Michael's test. Yeah. You know, and she's passing the, like, kind of, like, joke fodder do you like the red hot chili peppers and the bachelor questions <laughs> right. but then ultimately has to share the story about you know dress bitch right. and these horrible ways throughout her life that she profited off other people's misfortune catchy, and misery though. catchy very catchy great shirt here's the thing though she is objectively the most like any regular person. Right. Certainly the most like any person watching this show. She's petty and selfish in certain ways. Selfishness is a part of life. Like how many people who are watching this show are philanthropists who've raised billions of dollars for charities? Other than you. How many people other than me are moral (laughs) philosophy scholars? Yes. You know, how many of us truly despite wanting to, have ever lit up a Molotov cocktail, shouted Bortles, and thrown it onto a yacht. We are all most likely to see ourselves in Eleanor. And so that is the great fascination of her character. She is the bad person, but she is also the most relatable figure. Does she belong in the bad place? Uh, I think, yes. I would say she, she belongs in the bad place. And as you said, Everything she does in a certain way, well, except for like selling fake medicine to people who are extremely ill, is kind of understandable. I'd like post college, I lived in a house with roommates where we had a chore wheel. Mm-hmm. And I would just be like, when my name came up, I'd be like, fuck that. I'm not doing chores. I don't eat here. Like, I don't use any of this stuff. Right. I'm not doing chores. What kind of chores were they? Like, clean the kitchen. I don't, I didn't use the kitchen. I ate or out. Were any of the chores build? A world for my sim where well, listen. he will boil in the tub and then die from shame. Yes. Yeah. That was enjoyable. I gotta say. One of the things that's most fascinating about Eleanor's development throughout the season, because undeniably her growth yeah. is the most stark, because she is the first person right. that we come to understand is there by mistake. Right. So the entire season is her either rebelling against this idea or working to earn a place there so that she doesn't right. have to rebel It's this interesting two-track thing that's going on almost at the same time. One of the best moments on the show in season one is when Eleanor is working to up her points total. Yeah. And she's doing, oh, how many times can right. I hold the door? Right. Doing all these things. And there's no movement. There's no real progress. Like, it's incremental, but it's not going to be enough to make right. a difference. And what happens finally? Her motivation changes. And that's one of the real thematic breakthroughs 
in season one of the show is the characters and thus by extension the viewer coming to understand that the thing that really matters is not always the action itself. It's the impact that your action has on other people or the thing that's driving your action internally. And that filters down for all of the characters in different ways. But Eleanor can only really start to be good if she's motivated by something other than her own selfish impulses. And Chidi had been trying to teach her that the whole time. He flat out calls her selfish numerous times. Many, many times. Numerous times. And he knows, as a professor of moral philosophy, that if she's only motivated by her own self-interest, she can never be purely good. But can anybody be purely good? That's one of the things that this show forces us to consider. This is an interesting moral and ethical question. How much of people's goodness is because they feel like someone is watching. For instance, Eleanor is incentivized by the point system to do good stuff. She's not doing it for no reason. She's doing it because she's trying to like up her score, essentially. Isn't that essentially why Tahani is in the good place slash bad place? She was doing good things. She started a charity, et cetera. But she was doing it because she was like a very shallow person who was competing with her sister. Right. The cause and effect of their actions, the push-pull is all really tied up in each other. Yeah. Like, when they realize, obviously all of this is part of the ruse, ultimately, but in the moment when they realize that, what will Michael's retirement really mean? You know, the eternal shriek, eternal (laughs) damnation and torture. What does it mean that Eleanor is asking Chidi to keep the secret of Janet's murder to himself? It means that he is like literally going to spend eternity shouting, I am vexed and complaining of a stomachache. So she wants to prevent these two people who she has grown to value and care about from experiencing this pain. And that is good. But she is still also motivated by her own self-interest, which the show forces us to believe is bad. And the same is true for all of the characters in some way. And that is, of course, the grand design of Michael's plan is that all of their actions and all of their choices are always going to have a pulley effect on each other. That's why they're matched. That's why they're in this place. So what about Eleanor's professor? What about Chidi? Oh, Chidi. Here's the thing. My take is Chidi does not deserve to be here. When you say here, you mean in the bad place. In the bad place, which we believe to be the good place for much of season one. Chidi's great crime is that he is indecisive. Is that really that big a deal? Like, again, Eleanor sold fake medicine to senior citizens. Jason was an actual criminal Mm -hmm. multiple times. Not a very good one. Multiple times over. (laughs) And the worst thing that Chidi ever did, as far as we know, was one, tell a colleague that his red patent leather cowboy boots inlaid with rhinestones were awesome. They were not. And then finally tell him they were not after that man recovered from surgery for brain aneurysm. Still. Tough moment. I <laughs> to agree. finally complete, complete But it, how bad is that? And oh, well, I guess I take that back. He, actually, the worst thing he ever did was miss his mother's back surgery because he promised to help his landlord's nephew program his phone on the same day. Which, I mean, that's bad. But is that like my soul will be tortured for eternity bad? Well, that's why it's a good show. I agree. Right? Yeah. It's because there aren't a lot of television programs today, and there are certainly not a lot of network sitcoms that force you to ask that kind of like existential philosophical question. And that, again, applies to all of these characters in really different ways. Are they good? Are they bad? Well, sometimes in moments like this, I often think about one of my favorite movies, Ordinary People. This is not an apples to apples, but there's that great scene Conrad is going on a date. A very uplifting movie for those of you who haven't seen it. Cheerful tale, guys. Quite cheerful. It's beautiful, though. And Conrad is on a date, and his date asks him if he thinks that people are punished for the things that they do in life. And Conrad says, you mean by God? And she says, yeah. And he says, "Mm, I don't believe in God. And she says, not at all? And he says, no. Well, it's not a question of degree. Either you do or you don't. And I always really appreciate when shows say it is a question of degree and force you to consider those degrees. So is Chidi a bad person because indecisiveness ruled his life? Well, we see that the same indecisiveness rules his life in the afterlife as well. And the question is, what is the cost of that? Because making other people around you miserable. Yes is a bad thing. You know, hell is other people. Like, Chidi is hell for Mm. the other people in his life. He can't be the best man 
for his own best friend because that guy knows that he will be incapable of planning a bachelor party and writing a speech that isn't, well, you know, how long was his manuscript right. for his book? 3,600 right. pages. Indecipherable to even the greatest scholars in the world or an all-knowing being like Michael. Right. There is something delightfully diabolical about Chidi, a man chronically incapable of making a decision, having both Eleanor's, Eleanor Shellstrop, and the Eleanor who we believe to be the Eleanor who whose place our Eleanor Real took. Eleanor and fake Eleanor. Real Eleanor and fake AKA Eleanor. but then Eleanor and Vicky. <laughs> And Tahani are all interested in him. Yeah. Like there's something truly ironic and diabolical about that. Teach. And, yeah. Teach is ripped though. He is ripped. Eleanor is always commenting on the biceps. I know. Secretly also, ripped. Also, not as you've noted, not a lot of action. Not a lot of action going on. In the good on, place. Which is weird. Also, just the idea of soulmates. Yeah. You know, you're put there. You yes. think, okay, this is amazing. I made it to the good place. I'm in heaven. It's fantastic. Here's the person you're meant to be with. That's right. What if there's no chemistry there? What if you're not looking at each other's buttholes? Can we, can we can we reboot this? I'm getting no feelings from this guy. Tough, really yeah. terrible. Anyone else would file having three women, all wonderful, mm -hmm. interested in you under great problems to have. For Chidi, it is truly awful. Can't decide what to order at dinner. <laughs> he, this guy. Yeah, like, Literally. When Tahani's talking about Eleanor, our Eleanor, and it's like, you do have feelings for her, don't you? And Chidi's like, yes, but no. Please don't make me think about this again. My brain will break. He is truly tortured by this. He cannot deal with it. One of the questions that remains unanswered for me from The Good Place is how Chidi ever had a relationship in real life. I know. Because in one of his flashbacks, and the part of what makes the show really compelling is we do get these like lost style Love glimpses those. into their lives on Earth. Chidi in one of them in his moment of torment is waking up in the middle of the night. Should I tell him I hate his boots? I can't believe I lied to him. I'm going to carry this with me forever. This social transgression. And he's in bed with a woman and she's like, dude. Yeah. You suck. You're basic. You're basic. Let me get my sleep. And I'm like, how did he land this woman? This beautiful woman in the first place because he doesn't seem capable. Okay. But that's the thing about Chidi. It wouldn't just be, could he come to the, the point of clarity to decide to ask her out? Right. It's, okay, she asked him out. How does he decide to say yes? You know, he has that great line in this season. Well, I've narrowed it down to two possibilities. <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> like, wouldn't that have just plagued him every single moment of his life? Even the fact that he opted to help Eleanor in the first place right. is pretty miraculous. And that's one of the great fascinating bits of dissonance and incongruities in his character is that he does make decisions and they're decisions of great weight, but then they torment him. You know? yeah. So he is this foil for Eleanor in, foil. in almost every respect. Yeah. But he also does experience growth and enlightenment throughout the season. You know, he could have just turned Eleanor in right away. Right away. She confides in him basically immediately. Yeah. And he could have just said, I'm out. I'm out. I'm right. not into this. This is not what I want. I'm supposed to be in heaven. Someone is supposed to be spoon feeding me that Froyo that I see everywhere. Delicious. Love Froyo. And instead, he does decide to help her. And despite numerous moments of regret and doubt and either deciding to walk that back or coming right. really close to walking that back, he ultimately in the end, continues to honor that pledge yes. amid that regret and dread. He wants to help Eleanor and then eventually Jason, once the Jason reveal is added to the Eleanor reveal, he wants to help them learn philosophical principles and become better people because that's his life's work. Yeah. He's asking the same questions in life that we're asking on this that's podcast. Right. What does it mean to be good? What is the nature of goodness? Can you become a better person? Well, he feels a sincere desire to help them, but this is the trick he also feels an obligation, and that's not the same thing as truly wanting to help them. He's often operating less from a sense of pure goodwill and more from a sense of duty, right? So his actions, even his good ones, are not always pure because they're driven by a sense of being bound by the teachings that rule his life. Chidi being a professor of ethics, essentially a philosopher, is actually, it's kind of brilliant because in philosophy, there's a way to argue almost anything. You can argue anything. Sure. You know, I was talking with Micah Peters one time, who is one of our wonderful writers here, and I share an office with him. We were talking about Kyrie Irving, and Micah was telling about a time when he was in college, and he went to his philosophy class, and his teacher held up five fingers and was like, what's this? Five. Okay, but what's five? 
five is this number. Okay, but what is the number five? It's a symbol for what? Five of what? Right. How deep do you want to go of symbols that stand for other things that stand for other symbols? You can keep doing that forever. But at the end of the day, you have to make the decision that this is five fingers and that's five. Mm-hmm. And Chidi can't do that. Right. He can't do it. He has to keep following the lines of thought further and further, further down. Killing Janet is peak Chidi. Oh, yeah. Everything leading up to that moment, everything during the moment itself and everything after is corrupted by his total clarity about needing to do what's right and total inability to rectify what is correct, how to balance the conflicts that he feels. He just can't do it. Is Janet a person? She looks like a person. She's screaming. She screams like a person. Truly wonderful scene, holding up the picture. Virtually, it's a stock photo. She's got asthma. Right. She actually says, listen, I'm not actually a person, but part of my programming is when you try to kill me, I will scream in extremely convincing fashion and beg for my life because I'm a mother and blah, 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 blah. Solipsism is one of these philosophies which says that there's actually no way to know if any other person exists except yourself. Right. You don't know what's going on inside another person's head. How do you know that Janet is a person? Right. Or isn't a person? You think she's not a person because she tells you she looks exactly like a person and and reacts exactly like a person would when you try to kill her. Right. But if you're cheaty and you walk around <laughs> with Scanlan's right. what we owe to each other under yes. your arm as yeah. your own personal Bible, it's not about purely your ability to rationalize right. that. Because... Nothing is ever simple or easy or just on the surface. There are always these layers. If life is like a ball of yarn, Chidi is the cat who unravels it until there's nothing left. Like the structural integrity of the universe, (laughs) it's not enough for him. And one of the things that is great about this foursome is that we do kind of have these divisions and these clusters that form over the course of this show. So Chidi and Tahani, who we'll talk about more in a minute, they share something in common, which is don't even consider the possibility that they don't belong in a good place. Right. Not Never. once. Never once. Not once. Chidi, Absolutely sure. Certain. This is right. Yeah. I lived a good life where I thought about what it meant to be a good That's person right. and what it meant to live a good life. And then I did that. And now here I am benefiting from that. He focuses on the plight of having to keep Eleanor's secret and then sure. Jason's secret. And he does have this moment of like, oh, I can't believe like I have to spend eternity teaching you right. how to be good when I just want to like read French poetry on right. a lake and then of course he gets on the lake and he's Bye like boo. how do I do this right. I don't actually know how to do the thing right. that I always thought I wanted even that is torture for him and you know the weight also of knowing that he's not with his real soulmate and then when he meets who he thinks might be his real soulmate oh well if I say I love you back, right. why am I saying it? Right. Is it because someone told me that real Eleanor is my soulmate first and so I think I have to love yeah. her? Even something as seemingly blissful as you are in heaven with the person you're meant to be with can't be a source That's of right. joy for Chidi. Everything is agony for him. He lives his life based on logic, not by emotion, not right. by feeling. And that is at times something that makes him an elevated being right. and at times something that prevents him from really ever being at all. You know, he is kind. Yes. And he is guided by ethically and morally sound principles. Absolutely. And while those same forces rule him in the afterlife, he does actually, you know, begin to change before that full moment right. of clarity. You know, even though he never questions, do I belong here? We do sort of see him evolve and these little moments of enlightenment happening for him, you know, because of the way that his angst influences other people, he starts to realize that his moral compass and his crippling anxiety have this like disproportionate impact on other people. You know, when he's sitting down with Michael and Michael is saying that manuscript, Mm -hmm. literally throw it in the trash. (laughs) He does, to his credit, try to at least hear what Michael is saying. He's not just like totally dismissive of any criticism. But the question with Chidi is always, he's good, in a lot of the ways that we think a person should be good. But what cost does his goodness carry? And that gets back to the question you posed initially, which is, does he really belong in the bad place after all? I don't know. I think if you make everybody around you miserable, it's hard to say that you're a good person. Another one we can ask about that is Tahani. Tahani is, in Eleanor's words, a sexy skyscraper, the kind of person who seemingly has it made. Not even seemingly. I think you could objectively say that she has it made. She is beautiful. She's fashionable. She's well-liked. She was, in life, a prolific philanthropist. We cannot underline this enough. She started 
charities that help millions, apparently, raising literally billions of dollars for various and sundry causes. But Tahani is also the show's rebuke to the idea of altruism. She isn't doing these things because she's a kind-hearted person who wants to save others, or at least not fully because of that. She, like the late season one Eleanor, who's trying to get her score into the green, but can't do so until she allows herself to be driven by different forces— has the wrong motivation. Tahani wants people to love her. She wants to be loved. She wants to be praised. She wants people to worship what she does. And very importantly, she wants to beat her sister at stuff. Yes. She wants to be more loved than her much more impressive and just casually cool sister. She's doing it for the Twitter likes. Basically. <laughs> she really is. That's kind of how Tahani lives her life. She's one of these people that would purchase like 150000 <laughs> She would have been in this yeah. weekend's New York Times. Yeah, she would have been suspended like Richard Roper from, from writing movie reviews. <laughs> and she is certainly craving the affection of the masses, but she is yes. very specifically craving her parents' affection. And the rub is that her parents, like the rest of the world, are busy obsessing over Camilla, Tahani's sister, who is this high comedy caricature of excellence, of brilliance. Person voted most likely to be Banksy is like one of the quietest but best (laughs) jokes in the entire first season. The face tattoo, the the very somehow fashionable (laughs) like face tattoo. It's just tremendous. And, you know, Tahani... We get this clarity in season two, but she quite literally dies, as we come to find out, under the crushing weight of trying to prove that she's better than her sister. And one of the really savage but excellent (laughs) moments on the show is in season one when we learn that, you know, parents have perished and she and Camilla are sitting there hearing about the estate. Yeah. The last will and testament. And, you know, it's running down the list of all the homes and the yachts and the billions <laughs> yeah. that the millions that Camilla has received. And well, what about what about Tahani? What, what did they leave her second favorite child? And that's what she says. We bequeath the rest of our estate to Tahini. And the lawyer says, like the sauce. That's so they, her parents misspell her name in their will. Awful. <laughs> what a fitting hell then to be paired, at least temporarily, with a soulmate who cannot speak. The perfect foil. He cannot talk at all. He just has to kind of absorb all these things that Tahani is putting out. This person, who we later find out to be Jason Mendoza from Florida, he can't indulge her every whim for banal, shallow conversation. He can't tell her time and again what a dope queen she is. Jason falls in love with an AI, we think is an AI, sort of. Not human, by any means, not as far a girl, as we know. As she says time yes. and time again. Before also not a he, robot. Before he develops feelings for Tahani, she's always outclassed by someone else's idea of excellence. And unlike Eleanor and Jason, Tahani never once believes that she's in the good place by mistake. She is sure that she's there. Certain. Absolutely. Not only is she sure that she belongs in the good place, she's sure that she should have the biggest house in the good place. Like, she, her house is... An estate is a freaking mansion, like Superman. A comically large mansion. It is fucking huge. And she never once is like, why is my house bigger than everyone else's house? At one point, she comes in to find Eleanor and Jason kind of talking in in one of the many, 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 many rooms of her estate. (laughs) She says, oh, I was just coming to take off my morning gloves and put on my (laughs) evening gloves. (laughs) But she has in this like little, little beautiful jeweled case. It's not only that she's certain that she belongs there. Yes. It's like, why am I so low in the power rankings? That's the thing. It she tortures her. Becomes obsessed. Yes. With the points totals and where she ranks. And even after Michael explains to her that that stops after yeah. you die, yeah. she just needs to feel constantly right. like she's winning other people's gratitude and sense of awe. So when the sinkhole opens, despite literal flashing warnings, do not go back inside, get away (laughs) from this place. She feels compelled to go and see if she can try to fix it. To the point where she turns into like a 2D Picasso painting and Janet and Michael have to knock her out so that she's not like erased from existence. But she's so blinded by her need for acceptance and validation that it's the only thing that matters to her. And her enlightenment comes really slowly, both because being in the good place validates her sense of self and because she's the last one in on this secret. So there are a couple different reveals over the course of this season. There's obviously the ultimate twist reveal in the finale, but there's also just the we're not supposed to be here steady reveal over the course of the season. Comes really early for Eleanor. We get it a few episodes in from Jason. And obviously Chidi is in on it the whole time because he's teaching them. 
Donnie has no idea that this is happening. And so it's really, truly not until Eleanor's were in the bad place revelation that Tahani is forced to take stock of why she's with these other people, why and how her motivations and the forces that drove her in life weren't pure and to acknowledge that her charitable works and all the good she did, that that was tainted. That's when her reflection finally starts to begin. And so to continue the question is, is she good? Well, does the nature of a person's motivation really undo their deeds? That's the question that Tahani's character forces us to consider. She did all these good things. Does the reason that she did them matter? Should it? It's an unanswerable question. That said, I think Tahani does not deserve to be in the good slash bad place. Not at all. She helped millions of people. Now, you can use, for example, you know, wealthy people who start charities as a form of tax shelter, right? That happens. That's a very common thing. At the same time, you start a charity, right? Right. And the charity's helping people. If you're a high schooler and you want to, let's say you're, you're Tyra sure. on Friday Night Lights and you're really tall. Wow. <laughs> Someone Holy at some shit. point, Tammy, is going to say to you two things. One, are you tall? And two... You got to get something on your apps for the colleges to notice. Run for student government. Does the motivation matter? Well, here's the thing. This is kind of a dark thing to say. Sure. I don't really believe that there's such a thing as true, pure altruism. I don't. I don't either. In life. It's all an incentive somewhere. It's impossible to come up with a single scenario where you can't identify at least a shred of selfish motivation because even wanting to do something for other people, even if that really is the primary force propelling your actions, why do you want to do something good for other people? Because you want to feel good about yourself or you want to know that you did something meaningful in life. There's always going to be some degree, some element of what does this mean for me? That's just part of being human. Yes. So good work to honey. You're a human being. A sexy skyscraper of a human being who casually mentions that Princess Di was your godmother and also knows Taylor Swift and Kanye. And also the uh, name drops are great. And also snogged with Ryan Gosling at the Met Gala several times, which I did several times. (laughs) And there's Jason Mendoza. What a guy. Uh, There's a case. There's a case to be made that Jason is the second worst person in the good slash bad place. He is an EDM DJ, which Sean holds against him, absolutely. Shouts to Acid Cat. Yeah, shouts to Acid Cat. <laughs> Keep that helmet on. He is a low-level drug dealer, a sincere fan of Blake Bortles. Here's what I say. Yeah. Trendsetter. <laughs> it's very, very true. And a totally unrepentant criminal with a penchant for blowing things up to get out of jams. He died while hiding inside of a locked safe as part of a spectacularly poorly planned robbery. <laughs> of note, I think. The things Jason did in life were actual crimes, were true crimes. Yes. While Eleanor's transgressions, which I think we agree were worse, swindling the elderly and infirm knowingly, we could weigh those things. Totally legal. Totally legal, guys. Right. There's the question of legality and there's the question of morality. Right. And those are not the same thing. Great, great point. Which I think the show is (laughs) highlighting for us. Social norms. Yeah are not the same thing as laws. Right. And not the same thing as burning a boat with a Molotov cocktail. Really tough. (laughs) (laughs) I personally think that Jason's greatest crime is his sincere love for for Florida. He loves Florida. (laughs) And stupid Nick's wings and jalapeno poppers. Actually, jalapeno poppers are delicious. I retract the prior statement. I do think it's inarguable, though, that It is Jason who experiences the least personal growth here in the afterlife. Eleanor is aware that she has done bad things. She's a narcissist with enough intelligence to be self-aware about the things she's done. Jason is truly an idiot, truly, like a pure fool. He is a sociopath who lacks empathy and is a totally broken moral compass, but that is somehow made palatable by the fact that he is spectacularly good-natured and childlike while also being like a total buffoon. Even at the end of season when it seems as if Chidi and Tahani will be sent to the bad place because of things that Jason and Eleanor did, Jason is like, great. This means that I get to hang out with my girlfriend slash wife, Janet, who may or may not be a person. Like, And two people are going to be tortured because of that. Great. Awesome. We can keep trying to have sex, Janet. With all their diagrams. With (laughs) the diagrams we need to get into. He is a character of almost total comic relief 
and is a small miracle of a character because, like, truly, he's a bad guy. Unlike Eleanor, Jason is not aware that any other person exists in the world. Like, he is happy to commit crimes and blow things up and burn things. That's really interesting. I don't know that I ever thought about his character that way. Okay, so we said earlier that Cheedy and Eleanor are foils. Yes. But Jason and Cheedy are opposites. Yes. They are in every respect, certainly in terms of how the show wants us to be thinking about choice and consequence and actions, as different as people could be. We said earlier that Cheedy is ruled by logic and rational thought and never by feeling. Jason is ruled fully by emotion. You yeah. know, he acts based on how things feel. Does this make me feel good? Is right. this what That's I want? It. He takes what he wants. There is a certain judgment on the show's part about how much growth you can experience, how much enlightenment you can find if you're not an intellectually yes. driven person. So I think that that's really valid to think about his character and his growth or lack of growth that way. But I also think that undeniably the show positions him as someone you're supposed to like. Oh, no question. Someone you're supposed you just, to root for. You absolutely want to enter his butthole. You want to get in that butthole. You want him to say, come into my butthole. Come into my butthole. Lounge around in there. It's comfortable. Here's an impressionist painting. <laughs> He's sweet. Yeah. He has a certain tenderness yeah. and generosity of spirit. <laughs> this is an incredible way to characterize Jason Mendoza. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think it's true because ultimately... Yeah. He's not thinking about it in the sense of how can I really like further my own right. agenda or achieve some sort of ambition. I mean, his ambition is capped at wanting to one day get to Miami to be a DJ there. Right. You know, that truly earns the your basic <laughs> hand wave from Eleanor, or at it's least a, it it's should. A, it's a great point. He's not pushy or driven or aggressive about his like very good-natured sociopathy. When when he's on the train and he goes up to Eleanor and is like, uh, is there a 7-Eleven nearby? I want to get some scratch tickets and football cards and blah, blah, blah. And Eleanor's just like, go away. He's like, okay. He right. just leaves. You know, and that's what he's like. If you're like, not now, he'll be, okay. Yeah, there's a certain like winning, simple <laughs> view of the world that is like frustrating but endearing right. at the same time. But there are also these moments where like when Chidi is talking about utilitarianism. Yeah. And Jason actually provides what Chidi characterizes as a shockingly apt right. example, you know, of the dance crew. Yeah. You do have these moments with his characters where you basically say he is not someone we should give up on. He is not without hope. And right. the show is at its best and at its most brilliant when it forces you to think that way about every character. Yes. And we'll talk about season two, you know, later this week, but that will extend to a literal demon a literal Actual demon, demon who the show will get us to invest in emotionally and root for. That's incredible. Let's talk about, just for a second, the sex diagrams <laughs> of Jason and Janet. The first one is titled Leapfrog. The second one is, I can't read it, but imagine like a very crudely drawn mountain with two balls on the, the bottoms. <laughs> then there is centipede. And then there is one that appears to involve the foot and the hand. Incredible, and then there's another one called Triple Double, which I don't even understand. I think that's the last one. <laughs> Great moment when Good Janet, Bad Janet, Walkie Talkie protocol is oh activated, God, and Jason it. says, "Is she having an orgasm? Yeah. Did I do it somehow?" <laughs> uh, you did not. No, you did not, Jason. Jason, yeah, I am vexed. Uh oh, vexed. As novel as everything about The Good Place feels, it is ultimately exploring something that is, at times, downright ubiquitous in culture. Yeah. What is goodness? What is the afterlife? Is heaven real? That is, of course, though, part of the show's achievement because it finds a way to take those ubiquitous ideas and make them feel really fresh yes. and innovative. So, to help us untie these cheaty-esque knots in our stomachs, oh. please assemble the conclave and head to the Citadel and... In preparation for your trip, please put on these fedoras. Not the vibe I expected here. <laughs> Teach us everything we need to know, or at least some of what we need some. to know. You're not Janet. I wouldn't expect it to be Listen, everything, but some. How much time do you have? About depictions of philosophy in the afterlife in popular culture. 
During one of Chidi's ethics and philosophy lessons, Eleanor says, are we sure we should be paying attention to these guys? I mean, who died and left Aristotle in charge of everything? And Chidi says, Plato! <laughs> Plato's famous allegory of the cave is found in his best known and most influential work, Republic. Fun fact, the word Republic did not exist when Plato wrote this. The word he would have used is regime, a much more top-down and somewhat forbidding word. Written in 380 BC, but set years earlier, likely in the aftermath of Athens' defeat in the Peloponnesian War, Republic is concerned with justice, what it means to live a just life, and how best to govern. In the allegory, Plato highlights the natural dissonance between philosophy or enlightenment and good citizenship. Republic is written as a dialogue between Socrates and several other characters. Socrates imagines the people of a city as being like prisoners in a cave, chained so they can only face a wall. All the prisoners know of the world is the shadows cast on the wall by the light outside. That's their total reality. A philosopher, then, is like a person who has been freed from this prison. He or she is able to see the objects that cast the shadows, to see the light and see the world as it is. This person, you'd think, would be the ideal person to lead the citizenry because they know the truth. But in order to do that, the philosopher would have to re-enter the cave where he or she would have to grapple with the ignorance of the citizen prisoners. Philosophers then are subversive figures. They speak truths that people are determined not to understand. And the most able philosopher politicians are the ones who are best able to pretend that the cave is actually reality. Notably, Socrates, the guy who died and left Plato in charge of everything, was executed for corrupting the minds of the youth of Athens. Knowing the truth is a dangerous proposition, it seems. This idea that the world as we know it is just an illusion, a construct, a simulation, is a pervasive one in fiction. So let's look at some notable versions of it. Lost. Mm. We love Lost. Love Lost. Started in 2004, ran for six seasons. There's a fun Lost reference in this show that you found, Eleanor to Jason in the medium place, we have to go back. We have to go back. We have to go back. What a fucking cliffhanger that was. Man. Whoa. I miss I Jack. We'll never forget that. That is really the first show that harnessed that, that weird energy generated by fan theorizing. Lost probably did more to popularize philosophy than anything since Bongs and Dorm Rooms. Uh, definitely incomplete list of the show's philosophy references because we just don't have enough time. Episode three of season one called Tabula Rasa, which means blank slate. The proposition that people are born as blank slates and their personalities and beliefs are shaped by their experiences rather than some innate instinct, i.e. nature versus nurture, is an ancient philosophical question. Episode 21 of season one, The Greater Good, references uh, the works of philosopher David Hume, who's mentioned several times during Chidi's lessons in season one. Hume's works often focus on this ethical and moral dilemma of shared responsibility and governance. Is the thing that is best for everyone ethically and morally correct for the individual? A question that Tahani in particular has to grapple with. Then there are the character names, seemingly all of which were references to various <laughs> philosophical figures. Fictional John Locke found the hatch and regained the use of his legs when he came to the island. Love John Locke. In real life, John Locke was an English thinker and one of the leading figures of the Age of Enlightenment. Locke's alias, Jeremy Bentham, was a reference to the English social reformer known as the founder of utilitarianism. Danielle Rousseau, shipwrecked on the island in 1988. Jean-Jacques Rousseau was an Enlightenment thinker whose ideas about politics and education influenced the French Revolution. Edmund Burke, Juliet's husband died after getting hit by a bus. Who can forget? <laughs> in real life, Edmund Burke was an Irish orator and member of parliament in the 18th century whose writing influenced the development of aesthetics, a strain of philosophical study concerned with art, beauty, and the sublime. Ah, the Matrix, the Matrix. Mm. The Matrix is essentially Plato's cave allegory, only the cave is a simulation and also a paper-thin metaphor for capitalism. As many have noted, the Matrix is only one letter removed from being an uh, anagram for Marxist. Galaxy Brain, what happens if freedom is just a much larger and more well-lit cave? Aha, The Leftovers. <laughs> the Leftovers was less overt in its influences in the sense that it didn't name every character after a philosopher, but the show was about people dealing with the aftermath of an event in which 140 million people, or 2% of the world's population, disappeared. Were they called to heaven? Did that mean that those left behind were sinners? And who makes that decision? These are kind of eternal philosophical questions. Certainly for Damon Lindelof. Certainly. Mal. Yeah. I was a medium person, mm -hmm. so I figured I should be in a medium place, like Cincinnati. But this show isn't about the medium place. It's about the good place. Yes. Or so we thought. Mm. The season one finale pulled off a twist so masterful, it instantly earned a spot in the pantheon of great TV stunners. Yes. It was only a twist so massive that most of the cast didn't even know it was coming. 
Only Ted Danson and Kristen Bell knew the whole time, ensuring that most of the cast would play their good roles purely. You can watch a great video online of the actors who play Janet, Tahani, Chidi, and Jason finding out about the twist. And they are stunned. Truly, truly, truly great. The White Wedding. (laughs) And maybe that's part of why the logic of the season holds up so well, even after the full knowledge hits. But the signs were always there. Yes. You know where to look. So with the benefit of hindsight, let's head to the SEP to bathe in the light of the seven, which is probably a Froyo flavor, by sharing seven of our favorite bits of foreshadowing for the twist. Still lightning round style. You go first, Mel. Every sign and hint is very subtle because Michael Shore worked clearly extremely hard to not tip his hand. He has given interviews where he addressed how certain lines of dialogue they cut out because they thought too tippy. People are going to hang on that and wonder what's going on. So these are all fairly small. Some of them are bigger than others, but run through a few of our favorites. Number one, the poster for season one. If you go and look at the poster for season one after you watch the finale and you have full clarity, you're like, oh, this makes sense to me now. You know, it's a small thing, but it's there from the start. Michael is sitting there with this really like sly, shit-eating, I know more than you know and certainly more than I'm going to tell you for a long, long time expression on his face. And Eleanor is doing like the wide-open shocked mouth emoji face. And when you first see it for the bulk of the season, you're like, oh, she has that face because she's not supposed to be there. And she's like, oh, I've got a secret. But of course, the clarity of the twist, you're like, Uh. oh, she just had the revelation. And Michael's like, you're basic. I got you. You're basic. You know, as an aside to this, rewatching so many of Michael's one-sided conversations with John Yu, a.k.a. Jason Mendoza, are just like the poster tip in that Michael seems to delight in the fact that Jason is not going to speak back to him, knowing that he's holding this back. It's it's really great. Speaking of Michael, he kicked a fucking dog into the sun, <laughs> yeah. causing like a large nuclear explosion. Good place architects, you would think, do not behave in such a way? You would killing, hope. Killing pets? You would hope not. Uh, demons certainly do. His explanation for why he did that was, hey, it, it feels no pain, uh, joy, or love. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I can't think of anything more devastating to hear than your pet doesn't love you. Don't worry, guys. Not truly a pet. That doesn't sound like something you'd hear in heaven. No. Number three. Yeah. Janet, who we have not talked about enough today and we'll talk about more in love our her. second episode because she is a true and endless delight. Yeah. We come to learn that Janet was stolen from the actual good place. And she says to our heroes right. that the one thing. The one thing she isn't allowed to talk about is the bad place. Ah, why might that be, guys? Could it be because her talking about the bad place would reveal that they're actually in the bad place after all? And then even smaller but related to that is later when she and Jason are trying to figure out the centipede and are in love and are together and are married. And Jason says, you know, will you visit me in the bad place? And her response to that is that it would quite literally be impossible. Ah, because they're already there. Uh Number four. When Eleanor tells Michael about her awful parents probably being in the bad place, and they were bad, she says, maybe they're being used to torture each other. Aha! Mm. Similarly, Jason tells Eleanor that he thinks they're in a prank show, and they kind of are. He was right. Yeah. They're in Michael's prank show. Number five. This is a big one. This is crucial. This is ultimately how Eleanor figures this out. Guys, everyone's miserable all the time. Right. All the time. It's terrible. There certainly is a version of this show where the fact that everyone is miserable all the time in actual heaven is a commentary on the nature of humanity and the state of existence. But that's not what this is. This is a pretty persistent signal to us that this isn't actually heaven. You know, from the comic relief of Eleanor's house, she is next to just surrounded by these palatial estates and these unbelievably gorgeous and innovative works of architecture. And she is like literally in a clown house, brightly colored, small cottage. It's it's nice. It's it's cute. But there are portraits of clowns. Can you take those down? She can't take those down. I will say that they're well done. They're they're nice. (laughs) If that's your thing, there's a clown. It's a nook. There's a clown nook. She can't figure out how the stairs to her bedroom work. Right. When you shut the bedroom door, there is another large clown. It's like it's like a middle school stage that her bed is on. Cheaty. Yeah. Paired with someone who forces him to constantly do the one thing that he doesn't want to do, choose, make decisions. Why would Cheaty have a constant stomach ache in the actual good place? Right. He presumably would not. 
Or maybe he would again. Maybe yeah. he's just, Who maybe knows? that's just Chidi. Who knows? Eleanor and Chidi, they fight about these mundane things. Doing the laundry, yeah. cleaning the dishes. Eleanor has to pick up trash and her garbage bag splits. This yeah. is heaven? Yeah. Really, guys? Tahani, who's dearest desire is to just talk constantly and have people tell her how great she is is paired with a soulmate who can't yeah. speak who can't ever give her that validation most importantly of all Jason can't watch the Jaguars it's very tough when you're hanging out in your butthole <laughs> on Sunday afternoon all you want to do is throw that Jags game up on the wall have your buds come over into the butthole and you can't do it it's tough number six none of the humans actually get to fly this is actually they kind get, of a to, big one it's a big one they watch people fly right. But they somehow never actually get to do it by some kind of weird bureaucratic means. It's just never there. It's a subtle clue that everyone else is part of the simulation and in cahoots with Michael when he tells them flying is going to be canceled. He says it'll be for a thousand years. We're canceling it just for a thousand years, which is also how long he told Sean he thought his cloaked bad place experiment could last. Right. Can't let them experience the, experience no. the actual joy of flight if you're torturing them. Right. And then seven, finally, the... Biggest clue of all, I think we can agree. Yes. Frozen yogurt instead of ice cream. Yeah. Frozen yogurt everywhere and no sign of full fat Jenny Splendid ice cream <laughs> just anywhere you look. Just the fact that he says everybody loves frozen yogurt. Do they? In it's fine. Incredible exchange where Eleanor asks him, like, dude, have you ever heard of ice cream? And his response is, there's something so human about taking something great and ruining it just a little. <laughs> So you can have more of it. Quite a commentary on yes. the nature of existence. All right, Jason? Yes. I'm not going to have sex with someone just to get them to stop talking really? to me. Really? You and I are very different. <laughs> yeah, I noticed. And uh, I also noticed that because of that, you have something in common with today's winner. Ooh. Every episode, we are going to honor the person or idea that compelled us the most. And if we're being honest, the person and idea that compelled us the most is Mindy St. Clair and her oh, man. addiction to cocaine and masturbation. Mindy St. Clair. <laughs> Let me just say that I have not been able to stop thinking about the way Mindy St. Clair, when she announces, all right, guys, it's time for my masturbation yeah. session. And, and Eleanor's like, when isn't it? Mindy St. Clair is like, warming up like she's about to take to the pommel horse during a <laughs> gymnastics competition. Like is just stretching the neck and like cracking her fingers. Grabbing the rosin bag. <laughs> like whips off her sport coat, you know. Rosin bag might have the yeah. opposite effect actually. <laughs> uh, this week's actual winner other than Isaac who gets to edit out all these lines is Eleanor. Eleanor, she figured out the twist. That's kind of huge. It's huge. Huge. She figured out that an all-knowing demon yeah, who's right. the constructor world builder of an afterlife yes. and a new bold kind of afterlife, I yeah. might add, is fucking around with them. Unbelievable. She's smart. She also started her lessons with Chidi out of self-preservation, but actually took it seriously, yes. internalized the teachings. Her motivations changed. That's huge. She's, her motivations actually know, changed. They actually I, changed. She's genuinely found goodness in her life because she found the motivation to think about other people instead of herself. Yes. She doesn't want Michael to suffer the eternal shriek. She doesn't want Chidi and Tahani to go to the bad place in her place or Jason's place. She doesn't want Chidi to have to carry the weight of the Janet murder around with him. She ultimately stands up and says, I'm the problem. I'm right. not supposed to be here so that she can spare people she's come to care about. That is sincere, genuine growth. And I think best of all, at one point or another over the course of the season, she either comments on the attractiveness yes. of, is actively in love with, or has received some sort of advance from Jason, Chidi, real Eleanor, and Tahani. It's pretty great. <laughs> Shouts for Eleanor. No more lonely gal margarita mix for Eleanor. Listen, I, why would you even want to drink it's a party that for Eleanor? You know what I just realized? I guess Cheers doesn't exist in the in the Good Place universe or Becker. Wow, <laughs> or Curb, or Curb. Well, friends, yes, there's something so human about taking something great and ruining it a little so that you can have more of it. I agree, but we don't want to do that with binge mode. No, so it's time to wrap. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today. That you are as excited for binge mode Harry Potter dun, as dun, we dun. are. That you'll join us again this Friday for the second installment of our The Good Place binge on season two, including what we assume will be a twistastic finale yet again. Now, uh, excuse me. Till then, it's my masturbating time. When isn't it? 
Jason, what are these little illustrations that mm. you and Janet have put up on the mantel place here? This is how we're trying to have sex. Can you tell me a little bit more about the one that's called the Leonard Fournette Miles Jack? Uh, the Leonard Fournette Miles Jack involves uh, ramming your head into a football helmet and then you have sex that way. Can you give me any insight into the one called Pillboy's Pillbox? Pillboy's Pillbox is a very serious one. Basically, you act as if you're trying to take the top off a parent-proof pill cap and then you work it that way until the top of it is smashed down, smashed down, smashed down, and that's how, and then eventually you have sex that way. And is the one labeled Imodium an instructional manual, or is that just because you keep getting diarrhea? Yeah, that's what happens uh, because of my butthole. <laughs> 